Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. First Peter 5 says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And, you know, submission is something that is kind of a foreign term in Western society, especially in the United States of America. These days, when we're told, we got bumper stickers that say, question authority, and we question all kinds of authority. But Peter says to the young men to submit to the elders. Now, it isn't just talking about those that are aged. It's talking about the presbyterios, those who are over them in the Lord. Because we have to give an account. And in the body of Christ, there's a special relationship that we have one with another. It's one called submission to one another. Mutual submission. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 5.21, it says, Submitting yourselves, therefore, one to another in the fear of the Lord. And so what does it mean to submit? It doesn't mean to cower. It means to defer, to prefer someone above yourself. So when we submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we recognize the authority of God, and we recognize that He is a higher authority. So we submit ourselves under His authority. The Greek word for, um, well, let, let, me just, let me just get this. Submission is something that we're not particularly uh, familiar with. Because our society has rejected the authority of God's word, and our government has changed the laws of the land to fit ideology that embraces behavior that God's word calls an abomination. Now, what does the word abomination mean? In the Greek, it's the word badalumba. It means a destination. In other words, a special idolatry. A special idolatry, not just idolatry. It's an abomination. It's from the word delaluso. It means to emit a foul odor, to turn away through the loathing of disgust or to abhor. I, I saw yesterday that the United States of America has now reached the plateau of 61 million babies that have been aborted. Babies who were conceived but were never given the opportunity to breathe on their own. Never given the opportunity to succeed or even to fail in life. Because someone made a mistake and didn't want to live with the consequences, they go make another one. And so they create this stench in the nostrils of God, this abomination. And that's nothing more, nothing less than what it is. Sin in any form becomes that to God. It's a loathing. It's a disgust to God. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 1 what happens when we continue in that course. Where men, thinking themselves to become, are wise, they, they become fools and they exchange the glory of God to that of man. And we worship the creature rather than the creator. We worship the ideas of man rather than the ideas of God and what God has said clearly in his word. 
and we spurn and we create this, this stench in the nostrils of God. What is at the foundation of it? It's pride. Psalm 14 and 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. That's kind of where we are in our society today. Pride is at the very foundation of man's self-sufficiency. Pride says, I don't need God. Therefore, there is no God because I don't need anyone telling me how to lead my life. I'm wise enough. I'm knowledgeable enough. And I am strong enough to make my own decisions. I don't need a set of ancient rules or regulations telling me how, how to live my life. Therefore, I am my own God. Well, I got news for you. There is a God. And you're not Him. He rules high above the heavens. His glory is high above the heavens and He won't share His glory with anyone. The outright rejection of governing principles of God's words have subsequently led our society to the place where we find ourselves in now. We've become a nation of lawbreakers. Even the laws of nature itself. America is responsible for the deaths of over 61 million babies who have been aborted because of legalized abortion. And we're going to give an account to God for this travesty, individually and as a nation. Because the Bible says the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is becoming a reproach to America. America used to be loved across the world. Now we're becoming hated and spurned because of the things that we have given to the world. What are some of the things that we have exported to the world? We are the world's number one exporter of pornography. Is that something to be prideful about? I don't think so. And worse than this has been the uh, rejection of the authority of God's word in the church. We witnessed the turning of the blind eye to sin in the name of grace, which has become mistaken as licentiousness or unsavedness is what it really means. I'm a grace preacher. I believe in the grace of God. But I believe when we take the grace of God and we pervert it and we twist it, And make it into something that it is not. And make it a license and a provision for us to sin. And think that God will allow us to continue in our sins and not deal with our sins is a mistake. Be not mocked for God. Be not deceived for God is not mocked for that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you reap unto the flesh, you shall reap destruction. If you sow unto the spirit, you shall reap unto life eternal. That's what God's word says in Galatians 6, 6 and 7. We were given an account for all the things that we have done in this life. Our pride has caused preachers to preach a gospel without repentance and without humility. They say, just come as you are and remain as you are. And we use the term judge not. Don't judge. You're judging me. You're hating. Well, I hate sin because God hates it. If I call sin what it is, you can call me a hater if you want to. It doesn't matter. Because God hates sin, therefore I do too. Because I'm created in the nature of God, in the image of God. I am born again of His Spirit, and His Spirit inside of me hates sin. What's wrong with that? I think it's right that we should despise sin and abhorrent behavior. 
in the eyes of God. We shouldn't deal with it. The Bible, Paul said to the Corinthians, he says, don't even eat with an immoral brother. Don't even sit down and share a meal with an immoral brother. Well, what do we say? Oh, brother, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, just leave them alone. Just, just love on them anyway. Well, we love people. But, you know, love is not allowing a child to wander out into the middle of the road and not try to help them. Love is not allowing somebody to die and go to hell. That's not love. Love tells you you need to repent and get right with God if you're going to make it to heaven. If not, you're going to hell. That's the truth. So we have to submit to one another. Billy Graham said this. He said, if God doesn't soon bring judgment upon America, he'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about that. Billy Graham said that many years ago. This wasn't a recent statement. God's word is very clear. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus, uh, James almost repeats verbatim what Peter said in his epistle. In James chapter 4, verses 4 to 10, it says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Why is he calling them adulteresses? I mean, he's not re- it's, it's nothing to do with gender. What he's saying is you're committing adultery against God when you do these kind of things. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture speaks to, to, to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But God gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God, God opposes the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. And he goes on, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does that word double-minded mean? It's the word disikos. Disikos. It means two minds, having two minds. You know, there, there, there are a lot of bipolar Christians. And I don't mean in the natural realm. I mean in their thinking. On one hand, we think that we can love God and love sin at the same time. It can't be done. It's impossible. Either you will love God and hate sin, or you will love sin and hate God. Because when we have friendship with the world and the world's way of thinking, it puts us at enmity against God and his principles. Does that make sense? It's the truth. That's what the word says. That is not thus says Don Best. That's what thus says God's word. So, many today have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they wonder why. The reason is very clear. It's because of the double-mindedness that we have. We're not willing to empty ourselves so that we can be filled. We want to hang on to what we have and still have the privileges and the joys of having a solid, spirit-filled relationship with God without repentance. It can't be done. It cannot be done. Until we humble ourselves and we come before God and we say, God, I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to change my life. And I need to be filled with your spirit in order to do it. When we come to that point in our life where we're really ready to turn our back on sin and turn our face toward God, then God says, there's a candidate for my spirit. There's somebody who needs to be filled. I'm ready. See... 
We have this relationship with God, and the beauty of our relationship is this. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things. Without him, we can do nothing, but with him, we can do all things. I can't even breathe without Jesus, literally. Because we know God, there's no breath, because he is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the word spirit is the word sukas. Or suke. Suke is, means wind or breath. So God is the breath that we breathe. I was thinking about that song yesterday. I was out mowing the grass and I was riding around singing, He is the air I breathe. And I was just getting into it, thinking about God is the very air, the very essence of my life. He's the air that I breathe. He's, he is His very word living in me, His breath, His life. And the worst thing that can ever happen to us as believers is to allow ourselves to become proud in our accomplishments. God gives us the ability to do anything. Without him, we can do nothing. King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles, if you want to jump over there real quick, you don't have to. We got it up here for you. But 2 Chronicles 26, 1 through 5 says, All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father, Amaziah. Can you imagine being 16 years old and being put in the position of a king? Woo! It'll do one of two things. It will either exalt you or humble you in a heartbeat. And obviously for Uzziah, because he had someone who had spiritual oversight over him, and as long as he had that spiritual oversight, Zechariah the prophet, he did well. And the Lord prospered him. And he says that in verse 2, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 year old, years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. I don't know why that's there, but it is. And he did right in the, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God, And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. That's good, right? He's doing well. God's doing all these great things to him. And then in verse 16, something terrible happens. His pride gets in the way. This was his undoing, it says. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense Why was that such a bad thing? Because his pride says, I can do whatever I want to do. I don't need no priest telling me I can't go into the temple. I built that temple. My father David built that temple. I can go in there and I can do whatever I want to do. I can burn incense on the altar if I want. His pride was his undoing. But it wasn't his place. It was not his anointing to do so. And the moment Uzziah entered into the temple to burn incense and he took the incense burner and he starts waving it. All of a sudden, he looks at his hands, and they're turning white. Really, really white. Lily white. Leprosy broke out. And they said, get out of here. We told you not to come in here. And it says that he was eager to leave. I imagine so. But Uzziah lived the rest of his days as a leper because of his pride. 
Pride is a leprosy. Pride is a leprosy of the Spirit that will destroy us. You see, the, the opposite of humility is pride, and pride always precedes a downfall. Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Another area of pride that others often trip up on is to think that they don't need others in the body of Christ in order to accomplish the work of God. We need each other, folks. I'm not one of those who believe in just us four no more. I believe we need each other, and the more that we can do, the more we can build a team to do the work of God, the more work that we can accomplish. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 10 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allowed, allotted to each other, to each, rather, a measure of faith. Now, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Did you know you have a measure of faith? Each one of you have a measure of faith that God has allotted to you. And he's given you special, significant responsibilities in the body of Christ that only you have been anointed to do. I can't do what God has called you to do. And you can't do what God's called me to do. And one thing that is a travesty for anybody is to think that I can do it all. Well, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you're not called to be the body of Christ. We're all called to function together. I need you. I saw a strange thing one time. I saw a guy walking on his hands because he had no feet. He had no legs. And he was upside down walking on his hands, literally. I thought it was amazing. But I thought, man, he can't. He can't walk and talk at the same time. He can't carry anything while he's walking. He can't walk and wave at someone. I mean, he's just totally at the mercy of others because he has no legs. He can function with his hands, but he has no feet. And that just spoke to me about the body of Christ. We need feet, don't we? We need hands. We need ears. We need eyes. We need every part of the body to function together. And God has not called me or Pastor Jeremy or Brother Ronnie or anybody else to do all the work of the ministry in the body. He's called each one of us to do. Now, he has called me and given me the ability to do one thing. That is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I have my place in the body of Christ, and I have an anointing and a grace of God for that. Now, there was a point in my life where I felt like I was multi-talented. I could multitask. You know, so I would, I would preach and do the announcements and lead the singing and everything else. And when I get home in the afternoon, I'd be so tired I could hardly wiggle. And it got to where when Sunday came, it was the worst day of the week for me. It's like, oh, my God, am I going to get through this? Lord, help me, Jesus. But when I've learned to allow others to do it, man, and just trust them to get it done, 
I find out they do it so much better than I could have ever done it in myself. I love it. And I love sharing it, you know. I love giving people opportunities to do what God's called them to do. But pride says, I don't need anybody. I can do it all myself. Well, you can't, so get over it. (laughs) I got one final admonition for you, then I'm going to shut up. My 20 minutes is almost gone anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul begins by talking about the children of Israel. How that God had placed them on a journey to the promised land. When they left over 6 million people of that generation, most of them over 20 years of age, started on a journey to the promised land. Do you know how many entered in? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Of that generation that were over 20 years of age that started on the journey with Moses to the land of Canaan. Only two. Because somewhere along the way, people began to commit idolatry. They got impatient. They got arrogant. They grumbled, they complained, they committed sexual immorality, they did all of these things along the way. And Paul says that 23,000 of them died in one day. You know why they died in one day? 23,000 people in one day. You know why they died? Because they rose up against Moses. And God sent serpents among them. And the serpents bit them so that 23,000 people died in one day. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Pride. Pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And Paul goes on to say, he says, therefore, he says, he said in verse, verse 10, He says, or verse 11, that these things happened to them as an example and were written for our instruction. These things happened to them as our example and are written for our destruction. And then he says this, and I love this. And we like to pull this out and quote it, especially when we're having difficulty walking the walk. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful. And who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Now, it's most often misquoted like this. God don't give us more than we can handle. That's the way we, that's the way we quote it. God won't give us more than we can handle. That's a southern translation but it doesn't say that let no man say when he's tempted of God that I'm tempted of God for God's not tempted neither does he tempt any man but a man is tempted when he's drawn away with what his own lust and is enticed and lust when it's conceived brings forth sin and sin when it is finished what's finished product of sin death So, don't let any man think he's 
standing lest he fall. Temptation, no temptation has overtaken you but that which is common to man. Listen, temptation is a commonality among us all. Is there anybody in here who is not tempted? Okay. At least we got honest people. We're all tempted. It's common for us to be tempted. But here's the warning. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. We need the body. We need one another. I need someone, Ron, that can look me in the eyes and say, Brother Don, you got to be careful, buddy. You're not walking in accordance to God's word. And you're headed for trouble. And if I don't listen, I need that same person to be able to come back to me and say, Brother Don, how's it going in your life? You still doing what you were doing before? Man, I, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, man, if you don't stop this, you're headed for trouble. You're headed for destruction. You're reaping something that you're going to have to sow. And it's not good. And if we don't submit to that, then who's the responsibility solidly upon? Ourselves. And why do we not submit? It's because of our pride. Pride says, man, get out of my face. Who do you think you are to judge me? You hater. I mean, who died and made you God? That's the way we respond most of the time. But we need those voices in our life who can speak truth to us in love and help us change course in our life so that we don't end up on the rocks in our faith. We don't make shipwreck of our faith. That's why we have authority in the body of Christ. Until we learn to submit to spiritual authority, we get ourselves in trouble. And I'm just speaking truth to you today. So don't think you're standing lest you fall. Be careful. Be careful. Be sober. Be vigilant, the Bible says. Because your adversary, who's your adversary? The devil. And what does he do? He goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And what's our response to the devil? Resist him, standing steadfast in the faith. Don't give in to him. Don't listen to his lies. Find the truth. Line your life up with the truth. Get under spiritual submission to authority. Trust those that God has placed over you in authority as long as they're lining up with the truth of God's word. And walk it out. Walk it out. Okay. Praise the Lord. I told you I was done. You just needed a little bit of truth spoken in your life today. It's a little truth. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. So be careful. Walk in humility. Listen to the voices around you. I, I, I spoke with someone the other day and they were asking me about a certain pastor in town and then they begin to ask me about another church. And I'm like, man, I don't know anything about that pastor. And I just simply said, 
Romans 14, 4 says, who am I to judge another man's servant? I don't know. And then he starts telling me about this other church. And I noticed he hadn't been in church in a long time. I said, well, what about you? Who's speaking truth into your life? Who are you listening to? Who are you submitted to? Who's your spiritual authority? And he says, I got to go, man. That's the way we react to the truth sometimes, you know. But when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, what does it say that he will do to us? In due time, he will exalt you. In due time. It doesn't happen overnight, but in due time, God will exalt you. So that being said... It's like Dayron said earlier, he made mistakes. Brother, I can't believe that you got into college with a .6 GPA. That's awesome, man. Yeah. But you know, I'm really, that's amazing. I'm glad that it didn't stop there, you know. Story could have been, I dropped out of college with a .6. But brother, you overcame. Amen. Hallelujah. You overcame. And that's what God's called us to do. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. Why did he give himself for us? So that he could present us to the Father. So he could present us to the Father in glory. I want you to look what a, you know, when we found this rascal, remember what a mess he was? See what God has done. See what you've done. See what your spirit has done in this man. I remember several years ago, I was asked to come and speak at a, a teacher's, a county's teacher's Christmas get-together. And I was like, why me? But when we got to there, I, I realized then why, why I was. Because I, like Dayron, had a, had a pretty horrid past when it comes to education. Um... Now, don't judge me for this because this is the old life. This is the old guy. He's dead and gone. When I was 16 years old, on my 16th birthday, I got called to the office in North Orleans High School, and I was told by the principal, you're failing. You're so far behind. There's no way in the world you're going to catch up. Do yourself a favor. Do us a favor. Leave before we have you arrested. And if you ever come back on this property again, we'll have you arrested for trespassing. I was like, what? That was my story when I was 16 years old. I was in my second go-around in the ninth grade. And uh, there's a lot of story behind that that I won't really go into. But when I became, when I gave my life to Christ at the age of 20, immediately the Lord spoke to me and says, go back to school. So I went back to school and got my degree. I got my diploma, GED. I was so excited when I got my GED. First time, you know, I wish I could have walked across the stage with all of my peers, but I didn't. And when we moved back to Salisbury several years ago, we had the opportunity to get in school. And I was, you know, when I first started, I thought I'll be excited if I can just get 
an associate's degree. That'll be good. I'll have some kind of degree anyway. And so I got my associate's degree, and I thought, you know, this, that was fun. I was enjoying learning so much that it really wasn't about the degree anymore, so we just continued on. And so by the time I was 50 years of age, and uh, that was a decade ago, if you, just, if you want to do the math, I was able to accomplish my doctorate. And I had a master's degree when I was asked to go and speak to the teachers at this dinner. And so I told them, and I, I, I said, don't ever give up on a person. You know, I was basically given up on and, and cast aside and said, you're, you're no value, you're no good. I said, but they're kids just like me. And you don't know what those kids are going through. My story was I was working 70 hours a week in a grocery store. As soon as I got out of school, I'd go work till 11, 12 o'clock at night, get up in the morning, try to go to school, try to do my work. I just couldn't. I got farther and farther and farther behind, and it was just like it just began to snowball. Pretty soon it was like an avalanche of bad grades. You know, the only thing that I've made a straight A's in spelling and English. Yeah. Praise God for that. But I just love literature. But uh, other than that, I was a, I was a, a horrible failure in school and stuff and was judged for that. But God turned it all around. God turned it all around and showed me that if I would humble myself to him, and that's what it took was a lot of humility to say, man, you know, I messed up big time. I'd like to get it right, to be able to go back and do it. And, and you know, when I, when I got my doctorate, it was one of the greatest days of my life next to marrying my wife and having my kids, you know. And there's probably several other things that are bigger than that, but it was big. <laughs> it was big. The great event in my life. But it was very humbling to think that God had given me the ability to do that. I'm so thankful. So thankful. And God has blessed all of us, as Daron said. Each one of us have an eternal destiny inside of us. We're programmed for greatness in the kingdom of God. But the way to greatness... Is not through exalting ourselves. It's through humbling ourselves and serving one another. Because Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to first of all learn how to do what? Be a servant to who? To all. Be a servant to all. So I just want to say this in closing this morning that I'm your servant. I'm here to serve you. And I love you and it's my delight. It's my pure joy. To serve, I get nothing greater out of life than serving, serving God, serving people. And I just love it. It, it. it just, I just, I can't express it. And I just pray that you will learn that secret to life of humbling ourselves before God and before others and experiencing that joy. Because it really is exciting. It's fun, isn't it? Amen. You've been listening to Destiny City a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.